yeah, in your pews, or in your chairs, there's uh, um, envelopes for the Colorado missions, and um, that money goes to pay for things like what has happened at Florida. Um, I know this congregation um, worked diligently with Josh and with um, with them to get um, firm rooted again, and so they um, uh, that's something that, that you know the whole state's seeing the this Sunday um, and they can and they all see the, the work that's being done so um, those of you that were here all those years ago thank you um, but there's still more work throughout the state just like uh, Josh had said there is a darkness in our state that is um, hard to get over but um, that being said um, this time of um, change in our church, this uh, um, leadership team, elder candidacy, all this stuff has um, uh, really brought me and Bridget to, to a different place in our lives and, and with God and, and with each other. So um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Toby Roderick. I'm one of the elder candidates. I've been married to Bridget for just over 24 years now. There have been times when I'm, I don't know why she put up with me, and I'm sure there will be more of those times. Uh, we have three kids, Lucas, who's married to Breezy, Jeremy, who's in college in Iowa, Audrey, who's a junior at Ignacio High School, and we have one red-headed, blue-eyed granddaughter that gets spoiled whenever she can. Bridget and I started dating September of 97 in Arizona, where I grew up. Um, we can share that how we met story some other time. 1997 was a good year for movies. We saw a lot of them that year. At the end of the year in 97, there was a really big one that came out. Kyle, what movie came out at the end of 1997? There you go. Titanic grossed almost $2.3 billion at the box office. And with movie tickets only costing five bucks, that makes for pretty crowded theaters. Bridget and I took her grandparents to see the movie. I'm guessing it was before Christmas sometime. I, I really don't remember. Um, but I, what I do remember is we had to sit in the floor seats at the front because it was so crowded. So watching that movie on the big screen like this, was something else altogether. Fast forward to the fall of 1998. The studio wanted to make more money off of the film, so they released it on VHS. Kids, that's like a really big cassette. <laughs> you see, before Netflix and Amazon Prime, if you wanted to see a movie that wasn't in the theaters, you had to go to this wonderful place, this blue and yellow building called Blockbuster. Or you had to wait for it to come out on TV. The issue was none of us had widescreen televisions back in the day such as these. They were all square. They were not rectangle like a movie screen. And Titanic was such a long movie at three hours and 15 minutes that it took up two VHS tapes. 
So halfway through the movie, you would have to change tapes and hope that the person who rented it before you was kind and rewound. <laughs> that way you wouldn't have to wait so long to finish it. At the beginning of the movie, there would be a message that read, this film has been modified from its original format to fit your screen. This was to let you know that when the boat began to sink, you would only see part of it sinking at a time. <laughs> now, if you waited to watch it on TV, either through your large antenna on the roof, or if you were like the rich folks, you had a cable box, it would have commercials. And it would have to fit in a specific time slot. Three hours and 15 minutes is a lot of time, air time for a TV to give up. And the US government, they have standards for things that can't be shown on free TV. So you would get also get a message that read, this film has been edited for content and time to allow it to run in this scheduled time slot. When we saw this, it meant that the bad words and the juicy parts were gonna be taken out. Essentially, the TV programmers would take an R-rated movie and soften it down to a PG rating so that it could be shown on TV. I wanna start out by saying that I love I love my Grammy and my Grandma Marguerite and all of those women that taught me in Sunday school. Now, how many of you, like me, grew up in church? I'm talking about Sunday school at 9 a.m. or like my family, 9:10, And then big church followed by that. And then Sunday night church. And then Awana on Wednesdays during the school year. VBS in the summer. And summer camp when I got older. As a young person, one of the common threads throughout this time was an edited for content version of the stories of the Bible. So stories such as Jonah, Ruth, and Elijah As I read stories such as Jonah, Ruth, and Elijah now, it comes with a, that's not how I remember it. And going, and I love that, I love all those that took the time to teach them to me with the flannel boards. But I also think that that led, leads to a limited view of God in the Bible. You see, this PG version of the Bible leads a lot of Christians to believe that what is happening in the world today is the worst that it's ever been. Let's go to the text for today. Open to 1 Kings 16 with me, please. Now, we're not going to stay there very long. We're going to be bouncing back and forth, but I promise it will stay within a few pages. As I was been studying this section of the Bible over the last 
several months, um, I've come to the realization that, um, that the story is not how I remembered it. That the things that were happening were edited for my age, for what I could handle. But that then gives me a challenge to everyone here. Go back and read those stories that you loved as a child. Study them. Learn them. So 1629. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. We're introduced to this character, King Ahab. This is a time after the split of the kingdom. We have um, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. As David did. So we're seeing these sins abound and these sins being taken over. In verse 30, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. So let's see how bad it really was. So turn back a couple pages to chapter 14, in verse 7. Now this is um, prophet of the God condemning or giving God's condemnation to Jeroboam. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been like my servant David who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which is right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made yourself other gods and metal images provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up a dung heap. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dog shall eat and anyone in the open country, the birds of heaven shall eat for the Lord has spoken it. This is the prophecy against Jeroboam by the prophet Abijah. I'm going to get some names here, so Brandon, you're not alone. (laughs) Jeroboam dies, and his son Nabab becomes king for only two years. So let's turn over to 1525.
Nadab, Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel for two years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his, son, in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. Basha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Iskar, conspired against him, and Basha struck him down at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, for Nadab and all Israel were laying siege to Gibbethon. So Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And as soon as he was king, he killed all of the house of Jeroboam. He left the house of Jeroboam, not one that breathed, until he had destroyed it, according to the word of the Lord, that he spoke by his servant Ahijah, the Shilonite. It was for the sins of Jeroboam that he sinned and that he made Israel to sin. And because of the anger to which God provoked the Lord God of Israel. Let's skip down to 33. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Bashah, the son of Ahijah, began to reign over Israel in Tirzah and reigned 24 years. Again, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and his sin, which made Israel to sin. Bashah fulfills the prophecy, then continued the evil that Jeroboam started. Next, we have the prophet Jehu, giving a prophecy that God will, in verse 3 of chapter 16, utterly sweep away Bashah and his house. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam. Again, the dogs eat those that die. And the city and the birds eat those that die in the field. When Bashah dies, his son, Ella, gets two years. And then Zimri kills Ella. And all of his family and all the family friends in fulfillment of prophecy. And then we get to verse 15 of chapter 15. No, chapter 16, sorry. In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri reigned for seven days. So we get these guys get 22 years, 24 years, two years, and now we get a guy that only gets seven days. Well, kind of an interesting story to his seven days. When the rest of Israel hears about what he has done, they make Omri the king, and he, along with all of Israel, besiege Tirzah, and when Zimri saw that the city had been taken, he went into the citadel of the king's house and he lit it on fire so that he died before the army could get to him. Now, Zimri in his seven days, we don't, we see that he continues in the way of Jeroboam. So for seven days, this guy gets it worse or just as bad as everyone. 
and before him. Now there's a little more fighting for control over Israel. There isn't this straight up um, succession from king, father, to son, prince, and so on. Omri comes out on top of that. He has to convince some people and let them know that he is in charge of the army. So sometimes when you're in charge of the army, you just, you win. He reigns for 12 years. And then in verse 25, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way and Jeroboam, the son of Nebet, and the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. So Israel has, let's start with Jeroboam, for 22 years, and Nadab, his son, for two years, doing so much evil, leading Israel to so much sin, that God cleans house. And then we have Basha for 24 years, and his son Ella for two years, committing more evil than what came before them. Again, God makes a clean sweep. Next, we have Zimri in a coup d'etat that lasts for seven days. When Omri comes on the scene for 12 years, walking in the way of Jeroboam, but doing it better, or rather worse, than the ones that came before him. We see five generations that each get worse than the ones before. 62 years of men that continue to do more evil than the ones before them. This brings us to Ahab, the son of Omri. Now, we have this uh, difference. We don't only have two years this time. We have 22 years of out-eviling. I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to use it. Those that came before him. This is kind of where the flannel graph usually stops. And the story becomes all about Elijah. But we're going to explore what Ahab was doing and see that it is still going on today. See, Ahab marries Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, the king of the Sidonians. Jezebel is translated as, where is the prince? And, and it's derived from a Phoenician name, meaning Baal is prince. When she comes to Samaria, she brings her worship of Baal. She leads Ahab to build an altar to Baal. In the house for Baal that he built in Samaria. He also made an Asherah, or a high place, to worship the goddess, the goddess Asherah. As Ahab takes this woman to be his wife, he brings her 
gods, her idols, into the kingdom of Israel. He wants to please her, so he does what she asks. Now, part of this worship to Baal is a sacrificing of children, generally the firstborn. While God says in Deuteronomy that these are the despicable things that the Canaanites do to gain favor with their gods, it's hard for me to see that these things, see these things, read about them, and not think of our current cultural epidemic of abortion. As a sacrificing of children for convenience or to keep from losing some sort of status. Now with Asherah, this goddess is portrayed as Baal's mother and as his mistress. Where the worship to Asherah takes place in these high places at a pole or a tall green tree. During the times of worship, the people believed that they could influence their gods, little g, action to perform the behavior they wanted the gods to deliver by doing what it was that they wanted them to do. They believed that the sexual union of Baal and Asherah would lead to a good harvest. So they would engage in immoral sex to cause the gods to join together. We see this in back in chapter 14, verse 23. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to the abominations of the nations of the, that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So we have ritualistic prostitution. You see, God made sex as a beautiful and holy thing between a husband and a wife. And this is just one of the many things that God created, but that Satan then perverted. I say all this to show you that the demonic influences that controlled Ahab and Jezebel are still at work today in the same ways that they have always been and that God is not surprised by it. He was not surprised by it then and he is not surprised by it now. As these demonic influences are the same as they've always been, we have some assurances God is the same as he's always been. God has protected and allowed for evil things to happen on this world in the past. And in the future, I'm assuming that it will have to be the same, that God will be consistent because he's always been consistent in my life. We are only surprised at this because we fail to recognize that Satan 
And the demons that cause influence are the same ones that have been doing it since the fall in the garden. Our flesh is not immune to these demonic influences. But we do have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us to fight back. We have the understanding that uh, when God has had enough, he makes a clean sweep. As I prepared for this over the last several months, I had about four hours of uh, message prepared. And so I thought, I can't do that all in one Sunday. So I cut it back. And then I got told that we get to have a baptism today. Oh, that makes my heart feel good. So I cut it back again. Um, So it's just one point today. And that one point is, while Satan and his demons are the same as they've always been, and they're going to fight against us the way they always have, we can take assurance that God is the same as he has always been. And he will always be who he says he will be. And let us not forget that the Bible is not some clean, all-age appropriate list of stories. Bad things happened in the past. Evil happened in the past. And it happens today. Don't be surprised by it. Be ready for it. Be on guard for it. Know that This time is nothing new to God. He is not surprised. I'm going to pray for us now and then um, have the guys come up and uh, prepare the table while I'm praying. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the hard times that we go through that show us that we have to rely on you. God, I thank you for your consistency, for your perfect love and your perfect justice. Lord, I pray for our hearts that we would be guarded and not surprised by the evil that comes, but that we would rely solely on you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we have this table of crackers and... uh